Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org. I'm Krista Tippett. Up next, my unedited conversation with poet Nikki Giovanni. There is a shorter, produced version of this wherever you found this podcast. Hello. Hello. Oh, hello. Nikki. Hi, it's Nikki. Yeah, yeah. hi. It's Krista Tippett. Hi, Chris. <clears throat> I, I couldn't hear you breathing or anything at the other end. Usually I can hear oh, a sign I'm of sorry. life. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. I'm so, so delighted to have you at the other end of my microphone. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I apologize for being a little late. Oh, no, don't worry. Not to worry. Um, I think I'm just going to talk to my pr- producer here for a minute. How, do you want us to do some levels? Okay. Why don't, would you, um, I don't want to talk about anything substantive until we really get going. So could, could you tell me something mundane, like what you had for breakfast? Oh, gosh. This morning I had actually uh, two fried eggs with a ton of butter because I really like butter. The <laughs> eggs are, are fresh hen laid. And I have a friend whose husband hunts, but he also uh, raises chickens. Mm. And he knows the chickens by name. So his eggs are really delicious. And I did learn one other thing, too. If you feed your chicken marigolds, the uh, yolk will come out more yellow. I didn't know that. I didn't used to know that. So. <laughs> are they those those really kind of almost verging on orange, those yolks? The... Uh, they're very, very yellow yeah. and, and actually very good because they're happy chickens. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I Hang on. I'm just seeing somebody. I think someone's coming in here to tell me something. Okay. Okay, I'm getting adjusted, and then we'll get going. Do you have any questions for me before we start? Uh, yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> so you're in my hands. I'm. I'm. I'm just. I'm just. I've been. Uh, of course, I've been reading you for years, and um, but I've been kind of steeping and. Well, really, your writing and you know your your prose as well as your poetry and you know that that uh, dialogue you did with James Baldwin all those years ago uh-huh. things like that and uh yeah, I just want to talk to you about things that you know about your life and thinking and yeah. poetry and how all of that um has evolved and continues to evolve oh thanks yeah. i came out um, it's just been one of those days i walked out without a book and i didn't realize it until i walked into the studio so i'm really not uh some poems i remember most of but i'm not capable of reading a poem yeah well i know and i thought about uh, you have you've written so many poems and i i i thought about um asking you to bring some but i i know there's so much r- recording out there of you reading your poetry mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i think we probably will um, lay some of it in, and I, I would absolutely say if you feel, uh, you know, I have some, written some lines down, and but if you if you feel inspired to burst out into reciting <laughs> part or all of any poem, please feel free. But don't worry right. about not having a book. Good deal. Okay. And how long are we? Uh, about a minute, an hour, hour and fifteen. I think we have sure. an hour and a half booked, but we uh, okay because I. That uh, long. I tend to uh, natter, and I didn't want to Well, that's to okay. Overnight. No, you can natter. We have 90 minutes, and nattering is encouraged. And okay. the, <laughs> the great thing about having 90 minutes, of course, we'll turn this into a little polished gem of a public radio show, but the great thing about having 90 minutes is that we get to have a real rambling conversation. Certainly. Okay. All Thank right, you. Chris, can we? Good? Okay. Wonderful. Um, 
so so as I I I think of uh, what just one of the most striking things that just uh, jumped out at me all the way through your writing and and writing about you and and all the way to the to the latest volume of poetry you wrote you've published in 2013 is how how from the very beginning you were held and cherished and taught by courageous loving women <laughs> yeah. um your mother you were named your first name is Yolanda, right? So you kind of named uh, after. Yeah, it used to be when when mommy passed. I uh, I had it legally changed to Nikki, just Did, because that's what everybody knows me. I would have never done it when mommy was here because I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want her to think I didn't want to carry her name. I'm Yolanda <laughs> Junior, but uh, when she passed, uh, it was it was easy. I talked to my attorney, yeah, and Gloria has been my attorney forever, and uh, we talked, and it's just a lot easier because uh, it's a professional name. Yeah, and how so? How old were you, were you when you changed your name legally then? Um, mommy's been dead 10 years, so I was 60, 62, something yeah. like that, mm-hmm. 63 years yeah. old. Mm-hmm. And how do you say your grandmother's name? Luvenia? Luvenia? Luvenia. Luvenia. Uh-huh. Luvenia. But everybody actually calls her Emma Lou. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Emma Lavinia Watson. Um, right. Also, that you were all it sounds like foodies before the name the t- the word had been invented. <laughs> oh, definitely. Grandmother was a foodie, and grandmother's friends were foodies. And of course, I ended up living with grandmother. Not ended up, but uh, was was fortunate to live with grandmother. So, uh, mommy was a good cook because she was grandmother's daughter, and uh, my my aunt Anne was a good cook. Um, and and Agnes will be upset. She's the baby in the family. She, my grandmother had three girls. Yeah. And of the three, Ag is the one who um, is is less a cook. <laughs> but living with grandmother, uh, I I learned all of their tricks. <laughs> you know. Yeah. What she, there's some ways that you describe her food. Like is it her Parker rolls? Um, <laughs> can we just describe just because you know radio is a very visual medium and people will smell and see what you're describing. Like some of your favorite food that she cooked. Oh my! Uh, I, I did like her Parker rolls. Were, were Parker House rolls were very light, mm-hmm. and I really don't know. I am not good. Uh, my sister was good. Uh, Gary has passed also. Mommy died um, on 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 June twenty fourth, and Gary died on August the tenth. Uh, mm. So it was a it was a bad year for me on on that level uh, of, of people making transitions. And my aunt Anne, who was the middle daughter, died on on October twenty. Uh, ninth, mm-hmm. so it was bad, and then uh, Wendy, my dog, died on the tenth of December. <sighs> so I, I took a cruise. I, I just went and got on a, a cruise ship. But um, my sister Gary could make rolls, but she also could play the piano. And I'm not sure why one thing had to do with another. I cannot make rolls, and actually, I don't like doughy things. I've gotten to the point now. Mm-hmm. I'm 72 now. I really don't like pancakes or that other thing, that uh, waffles. Yep. I think they're stupid now. Why would you make something with holes that you have to stick? Uh, uh, what is that you put in? Uh, syrup. Uh, maple syrup. Yep. And, yeah, <laughs> something like that. And so, but grandmother could, could roll it out and they would rise. I don't know how she, <laughs> she did. Uh, my favorite was, was, of course, her greens. Mm. And I'm still, still, still working on that because working making greens is one of the one of life's difficulties. You know, it looks mm. like you just clean them and stuff. I don't know. I'm not lazy, and that's the truth. But pulling the stems, getting, well, mommy, well, and grandmother too, you pull the stems, and then you tie the stems, and you put the leaves in, and you use the stems to flavor, and then you pull it out. Mm. 
And mm. so she was very good at that. But the other thing I was laughing, and, and I'm laughing about this. You didn't ask me about this. But in Grandmother's Day, you know, you used to go to the market and you bought a live chicken. And she would right. bring the chicken home. Actually, my, <laughs> my, great, my great-grandmother, I remember that from my earliest childhood also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On Saturday, grandmother would bring the chicken home. Oh, no, she wouldn't. Actually, grandpapa did the, the marketing, and he would bring it home, and they'd put it in the backyard. And then grandmother would go out Saturday morning and wring its neck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my sister was older sister. I was a baby. In the, I am the baby in the family. And grandmother would always say to Gary, well, go get the chicken. And I remember Gary, dis, her name, my sister's name was Gary. And I remember distinctly Gary coming back saying, it's stuck. <laughs> Because she didn't want to bring the chicken back, but you know, you learn to, you learn to do that. And I guess I have learned too. Um, it's something that I'm dealing with on another kind of level. But for something to live, something else usually dies. There's there's a um, there's a transition, and it's been um, interesting. It's not something I would have been able even to say to you at uh, uh, even 50 years ago in my 20s. I wouldn't have. But uh, we now know that for something to 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 something to live, something to gain strength, or whatever it is that one gains, something else it has to give it up, and it, it's really uh, it's been interesting. Mm-hmm. You you were born in 1943, is that right? Mm-hmm. And yes, and you so you you grew up in. I, I like this. You you talk a lot about what we call the 60s, what is called the 60s, which mm-hmm. which you really date from about 1954 to 1968, mm-hmm. um, which was such a such a dramatic moment. Um, I mean, a lot of transition. I mean, you've just been using that word. Um, one question I, I, I ask people, whoever I'm talking to usually is, you know, what, what, how would you describe the religious and spiritual background of your childhood? And I, I wonder well, how you would start to talk about that, and I really mean the fullness of that, um, you know, that, that your family, but also that, that world you, you, you came into. Oh. First of all, I grew up, of course, uh, Baptist, because grandmother was a Baptist, Mount Zion Baptist Church. But when, when Mommy married, uh, our, my father married, we called him Gus. Mm-hmm. We called Daddy Gus. When Mommy married Gus, they moved to Cincinnati because he couldn't get a job. Uh, he was a college graduate, and he couldn't get a job in Knoxville. And so they moved to Cincinnati where he could get a job. And Mommy joined the um, AME Church. But if we're just going to just kind of just breeze on religion without getting into anybody's business, you know. I recently have been fascinated with why it is that we don't actually look into the manger more. We always mm. look at the cross. Mm. But it was the it was the manger that made the difference. And I think that one of the problems with the manger is that we have to give Mary credit for bringing God to earth. Yeah. And I think that given the, the, the times that we live in, both Christian and non-Christian, nobody wants to give women credit for what they do, but we're the ones who create the life. And and she and God did this thing. And actually, God should have told Joseph, you know, to, to get on board. Because you remember with the cherry tree, you know, he was upset. And Mary said, you know, Joseph, I'd like some of the cherries. And he said, let the father of the baby, of your baby, uh, get those cherries for you. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, you know, bend down the tree <laughs> and let my mother uh, have what she wants. And I, I think it's really um, interesting that we don't look at the manger a lot more because that's going to be the beginning. Ultimately, we will lose 
the 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 physical uh we will lose Jesus he will give up his life and he will be reborn and a part of that uh just as a christian is that he was be, should be reborn in all of us but we still have to sort of look at that manger and um the the books that i've been the book that i'm working on right now actually is called a good cry uh mm-hmm. and it's just because uh I realize women keep a lot of things in them. Yeah. I do know this for Mary, and I'm going to give Mary credit. I don't, I, having a baby hurts. <laughs> I don't care who it is or where it came from. Having a baby hurts. So I want to give Mary her props. And I also mm. want to deal with the fact that as we are giving this birth, a part of what the Christian religion is supposed to do is give birth to a new to a new human being. And so it's been fascinating. Mean, you ask a, a one kind of question. I don't know if I'm answering it strangely. No, but, it's um, great. It's, it, it, I think this question lands wherever in us it wants to be given voice. I mean, you, you also once said, you, you, I wrote, you, you, I read, you said you always think it must have been a woman who developed the spiritual Oh, oh gosh, yeah. I, I think I could probably prove that. If I could find a way to stop. When we look at, at uh, uh, slavery, which actually slavery is only going to be the end result. We have to look at the kidnapping in Africa. We have to look at no matter what the country. We have to look at the, the fact that somebody sold and somebody purchased, and, and that just cannot uh, be denied. We, we're upset, of course, with, with the Europeans because we say, oh, they created slavery. They might have, but they didn't create the buying and selling of human beings. That, mm-hmm. that had been going on for quite some time all over. So we had that, and we have now these people the people who were kidnapped and sold, and the people who purchased them are now putting them in a ship, and they're going to take them across an ocean. And we know enough, I know probably half of your people listening have cruised the Atlantic Ocean. The Atlantic Ocean, well, just recently in Jacksonville, we had uh, a ship go down. That can be a pretty vicious ocean. So we had the people coming across that ocean, not knowing where they were going, but knowing whatever it was, they were not going to go back. To where they used to be. So somehow or another, they had to make a decision. How do we go forward? And of course, you're going to have some fear and you're going to have some anger. There's no question about that. But it had to be a woman because we're back to the manger. We're back to Mary. We're back to that's what women do. It had to be a woman who said, I need to settle my people down. And when you consider (laughs) that there were a lot of of languages going on, she didn't speak English at that point. They didn't speak uh, Swahili at that point. There were many languages. The only common language is going to be, and somebody's going to pick that hum up, and they are going to create that spiritual as we come across the Atlantic Ocean. So when we get to what is going to ultimately become the United States, these people had created a way to speak to themselves, to each other. Through, through the language, through spirituals. It's mm. fan- to me, fascinating. Yeah. It had to be a woman. Yeah. So when you were 25, you wrote, I'm 25 years old, a revolutionary poet. I love. <laughs> I, I kind of want to ask you about the, the I love tacked on at the end of the sentence, but I also want to ask you about what you meant, what you meant at 25 when you said you were a revolutionary poet and how you... How you think about how you look at that now, as Nikki Giovanni, quite a few uh, years years later. <laughs> well, I think twenty five was good, mm-hmm. you know. And for some reason, and believe me, and I'm not tempting. I've been talking about Marion and, and and God and and mangers and things. I'm not tempting any of them, but I always thought twenty five was one fourth of my life. 
<laughs> and I felt the same way at 50. I don't feel the same way at 70. I'm not sure that I'll make 75. Yeah. But I always felt like, okay, this is a fourth of my life. What, what, am I, what am I doing and what am I trying to do? Well, a part of what I'm doing is articulating. I would be, if I would be unfortunate enough, if I can say it like that, to be on that ship, I would be the person who started the song. Mm. Because somebody has to raise a voice. Somebody has to raise, uh, has the, the, I don't know what the, the word is. It's not just courage, but the foresight or something to, to, to say we have to talk. And this or is how we Or the soul of a to... poet, maybe. Somebody has to have the soul of a poet. Sure. Mm. That, that works for me. Mm. I mean, it, that song had to come from some place. And I would like to think that if I were on that ship, I would raise that song. But I, since I'm not, I'm, I'm at, at 25, I'm at a, a turning point in America. And we had to raise our voice to say, it is now time. You know, middle yeah. passage is over. This is segregation. It's time yeah. that, that we moved into a new a new world, a new, a, a new, a new generation, and of course, I had the the great pleasure, ultimately, of knowing Mrs. Price, Mrs. Uh, Parks. But it was so. There was a Parks. Yes, it yeah. was so important that somebody stand up. I, I didn't know Thurgood Marshall. I, I would have been wouldn't have been wonderful to have had a glass of wine with Thurgood. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness! I mean, what a brilliant, brilliant man. Yeah. And uh, just thinking about it, I, I did get to meet Miss Bates, Daisy Bates, but I didn't like we didn't hang out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I knew, and I'm, I'm actually akin to Jean Noble, who was the president at that point of Delta Sigma Theta. So I came up at a time that I thought I could be of some use, that my voice could be of some use. I'm not strong. I'm not fast. I don't have any talents. I'm not that pretty. you know. So all of the things that one normally thinks about women and what they should do, I really don't do it. But I am smart. And so I thought what I have to do is use my smart to be of some service to human beings. Hmm. You, you, you wrote a lot, um, especially in in those years of the sixties and seventies, about power. And you know, you you said I think this was in your dialogue with James Baldwin in nineteen seventy three, which was so interesting to read. You know, you said that you said and again, you're very young. You said the question for me has always been power, and I wonder, you know, kind of same question. Now, what what did that mean to you then, and 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 what does it mean to you now? Uh, I think, you know, first of all, it was really, uh, let, me, let me give Jimmy props. Yeah. Uh, everybody read, I mean, we read him, we read him. And I had done uh, his friend, Ellis Hazlip. Well, I, I do favors all the time. They, I have a foundation here at Virginia Tech. It's called The Answer is Yes. And we don't have a lot of money, but we do have a lot of, uh, uh, we, we put a lot into it, but it's just we, we're not rich. But I had done a lot of favors for Ellis Hazlip. And Ellis said, you know, I owe you. And I thought, yeah, you're damn right you owe me. And he said, what would you like? What can I do that, that would make you, you know, what, what what can you do? And I said, oh, I'd love to talk to Jimmy Baldwin. You know, Jimmy mm-hmm. lived in uh, St. Paul Devance. And he said, I know Jimmy, and I knew he did. He said, let me, let me get in touch and see what he says. Well, he was, Jimmy was busy, and he said, I'd love to talk to Nikki. I had seen uh, uh, a, a TV uh, show. What are those things? That PBS show. Yeah, yeah. And he had a big fireplace, and at the top of his fireplace, there were a lot of books, but one of the books was Spin, A Soft Black Song, which was my book. So I knew Jimmy knew <laughs> something about me, and he said, you know, I can't come to the United States right now. I don't have time, but 
if we could could meet, you know, we could meet in London. I thought you got to be kidding. I mean, <laughs> I love London. Mm-hmm. I, I still love London. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, this is great. I had a son by then, yeah. and uh, I thought this is great. We're going to London. So that's what we. <laughs> so did you took to, your son to, with you. Oh my yeah. yes. Yeah. And Thomas, his name is Thomas, mm-hmm. and you know Jimmy's a night night owl. He's a night crawler. Mm. And Baldwin would be out half the night, and we would be up at breakfast. When you have, I don't know if you have children, but if you have a dog or children, you get up for breakfast. That's right. <laughs> and we would be up for breakfast, right. and Baldwin would come in to have coffee, and he would be going to bed because we we filmed late in the we filmed in the evening. Mm. And Thomas would say, "Jimmy Baldwin, Jimmy Baldwin, take me for a walk." <laughs> and you know, Baldwin did not feel like taking him for a walk. We were staying right across from Princess Anne's grounds, yeah. and I don't know what you know about obnoxious children, but I had one. And so before it was all over, every day Jimmy had to take him for a walk around the park. How, which how was old good was for Thomas then when when he went to oh, gosh. when he went to London to meet Jimmy? You said it was seventy three when we did yeah, that. Yeah, seventy three. Okay. He was born in sixty nine, so whatever that so, oh, is. So oh so so that must I wonder if now he uh so he was just four or something. Yeah, he he I'm probably sure he doesn't, doesn't remember. remember um no. Probably can't take in what it was to meet James Baldwin at that point oh, in his I'm, life. I'm sure he. I'm sure he. You know, he yeah. has a daughter, by the way. Yeah. And they called me the other day, uh, last week, and she says, "Grandmother, it's Kai." And I keep saying to her, she's nine now. I keep saying to her, Kai, the minute you say grandmother, I know who it is because <laughs> nobody else calls me that. So. Yeah. <laughs> I. You know, I'm curious about, uh, and this is a huge question, but I'm I'm so curious about what you might share about how you're <clears throat> inhabiting this moment now. And as a grandmother of a young woman who's going to be growing up in this world and of an adult son, um, and I, you have, I've also been watching... Um, you know, on on YouTube, these these interviews that a lot of great, uh, you know, uh, young black hip hop people and actors and entertainers do with you, and the the reverence, like they they re- they look up to you, um, and so I'm curious about the conversation you're having inside yourself, and also with your friends and across generations about. You know what you lived through and participated in in the '60s and 50 years later. So where you know how that helped you make sense of now, or critique now, or worry, or be proud or hopeful about where we are now. I I actually think of myself as uh, the quintessential existentialist. Okay. So I live now, and one of my either great strengths or great faults, I haven't figured out and I probably won't, is that I don't go back. And so you're saying, you're, you're quoting me from some things, and some I have little stories that I remember because I, I, I deal in narratives. Yeah, yeah. But I don't. I haven't reread the book with, with Jimmy for God knows when. I don't reread poetry like that. I don't rethink myself. I just try to bring the best that I have uh, today. I'm incredibly thrilled that... Uh, the youngsters, I have a, a, a thug life tattoo on my um, on my arm. Yes. And when I get a minute, I'm going to put another. I, I said I was only going to have one tattoo, but I'm going to put another tattoo as soon as I come back, actually, from vacation. And it's going to say, Hokies don't hate, because I think mm-hmm. that that's, uh, that was important. And, and ho- I think Hokies is the, um, what's the? It's Virginia the, Tech. Virginia Tech kind of, the, yeah. I don't know, what do you say, the the their nickname. Yeah. When we had the uh, yeah. situation in Paris, you know, people were picking on the Muslims, and 
the, the community, the Virginia Tech community, had a uh, a big rally on 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 the uh, uh, drill field, and they gave out bands. I don't have one on right now, but the band said "Hokies Don't Hate," mm. and I thought, yeah. Next to Thug Life, that's the that's the next statement that uh, I think is important to um, to make. Hokies don't hate. We don't hate, and I think that that's important for for the for the youngsters. I'm as I say, in, in, I am incredibly uh, thrilled that the youngsters look at, at my work and look at at some of the things that um, that I've done, and they found some some good in it. I like to think, you know, essentially I'm fertilizer, and so they're growing yeah. something. Yeah, I don't meddle. I really don't. And I get asked, uh, you know, I'm 72, so I get asked, well, what do you think the kids should do today? Yeah. And I don't I don't know what the kids should do today. They know what they should do today. I like, you know, Black Lives Matter. I think that that's important. I have the button. I can't breathe. I think that that's important, not just because of the gentleman, but because if we don't let the air be free, none of us can breathe. Yeah. But they don't need me to, to tell them what to do. They... They're perfectly capable, and, and I think they're doing a, an incredibly um, good job. Mm-hmm. You didn't ask, but I have to say this. I am considering, and I, I talked to my lawyer. My lawyer's named Gloria Haffer, and I love her so much. <laughs> She's been my lawyer since 1968. She, she was a friend of my mother's, and uh, she took me on, and she's been with me forever. But I talked to Gloria. I said, is it possible to sue the president of the United States? And she said, why? Why would you sue? She said, you're talking about Barack Obama. I said, I'm talking about Barack Obama. <laughs> she said, why would you sue him? I said, because he quoted, we will prevail. But he did not give me credit. He did not say. Oh, that was one of the lines from your poem at Virginia Tech after the. That's right. And I know he knew that that's where he got that from. So I'm considering, I don't know if Gloria is going to do it, but I'm considering suing the United States and the president (laughs) for taking my line and not giving me credit. Well, maybe he'll hear this interview and write you a note of apology. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want an apology on um, this. This is a business deal. I want a check. Okay, you want but money. All right. I seldom, I seldom say that. I seldom want a check. But this will be one that I've, I've you know, you, you laugh about these things. Yeah. But, you know, we're just all living in this world at this time. And one of the great uh, thrills of my life is I'm a space freak. I'm an Appalachian. Yes. I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, grew up in Cincinnati, and I'm now here. I was in New York for, you know, 20 years or so, but I am now here in, in Roanoke, Virginia. So I spent most of my life in Appalachia. And as you know, the space program has been Appalachian, all of them. John Glenn, you know, Alan. Actually, all I did not realize that. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's because we are used to the quiet and we are used to looking at the star, in my opinion, looking at the stars dreaming. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to work out right now a few things uh, with Dr. Washington in, in Huntsville. I want to go down because we need to get more creative writers. We need to get more creative writers involved in the space program. We've gotten engineers involved. We've gotten, uh, you know, the physics people involved. Yeah. We have a lot of science people, but we need the imagination. And if we're going to really go into space, we really need two things, if I may say so like that. We, we, we need, uh, well, actually, we need black people. We need really, really more black people involved. And we need wine. And I was asking. <laughs> you mean do. on board? Well, see, what, what I want to do, <laughs> nobody listens to me. What I want is to talk to Mondavi because they're just a, a commercial wine. And see, can't they find a way to shrink the wine? And because the thing that makes it un, unattractive right now is that the bottles are heavy. Yeah. And if we could find a way to shrink it until like a gel or something like that, not 
jelly, like sweet, but just to kind of, you know, shrink it down. Then, because you can't go far. Let's say you're going to Mars. Do you remember all that, fun, fr- that flash frozen food that they used to sell in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. after the space, the moon flights? Is that what mm-hmm. you mean? Well, I think a little better than that, yeah. because one of the things we learned from Shackleton and them when they were going into Antarctica is that you had to have you have to have something. You need entertainment. You need people who can live within themselves. So we got the Appalachians, and we're going to find you know books because now we have the Kindle, we have the Nook, and we can do that. Oh yeah. And we have to find a way to deal with the wine. And if we can do that, then you can you can spend 500 days going up to Mars, and you can be sane when you get there. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. So, so at the very beginning of your book, of the Chasing Utopia book, you're inter- you just tell this quick story about interviewing Mae Jemison, who was the first oh, yeah. black woman to go into space. Yeah. And that's yeah. such a great story. You asked her, how did she avoid getting bored? Mm-hmm. And what she said, I pay attention. Or mm-hmm. what did she say? Boredom. I can't remember. What did do you remember what I, I, I'm not looking at it in front of me. Yeah. But Mae Jemison's a great kid. I called yeah. Essence magazine, uh, and I've been knowing Essence forever. I remember when they started. And when they said Mae Jemison was going into space, I called Essence and I said, listen, this is you. I want you to understand so that there'll be no misunderstanding. I interview Mae Jemison. I'm going to come down there and all of you will be sorry. <laughs> and, and they said, okay, Nikki, you can do it. And I was uh, I was so pleased. And, and Mae did that. She paid attention. But May did not have 500 days, and we might get it down to 400, but that's a little over a year to sit on a spaceship. And, she, you know, you're not going to have any sex. You know, I mean, yeah. the things that you <laughs> normally do within a year, you're not going to have it. <laughs> and so what we have to do is find a way and find the people who are used to being within themselves. I, mm. of course, mm. would love to see Virginia Tech being able to send, uh, I'd love to see us send maybe 10 12 students down to Antarctica with a couple of... I've been to Antarctica, so it's not, I'm not and, asking and for myself. For you, is Antarctica, it's the same idea of going beyond Antarctica and space. And you also, you also connect these things to your, your, <clears throat> your aspiration and imagination about the black connection to the future of planet Earth. Sure. How do and all it's these, also, yeah. it goes back to... Let me interrupt you yeah. for a minute. It goes back to Middle Passage. Because if you can survive that journey from west coast of Africa to the east coast of the United States and be sane when you get here. And, and that's what we haven't looked at. And so, again, a part of my research that I'm trying mm-hmm. to do now, and hopefully I'll live long enough to get more done than I've, I've been doing, though I'm working on it, a part of my research is that we have not dealt with the fact that they were sane when they got here, mm-hmm. and that that sanity allowed them to listen to and take in a religion that they were not used to. They became, ultimately, Christians. They became accepting of the idea that, that, that there was a manger and there was a cross, and they found a way to do it, and they found a way to put that in the songs, and the spirituals are going to be a way that we are going to talk about our experience. Mm. Am I making sense? Yes, you are. And I think that one of the things that we have to get over, and one of the reasons that, you know, I intensely dislike warmongers and, and fools like Donald Trump is that there's, they're teaching people to hate at a point, here we are in 2015, and what we should be doing is now looking at, and what are the contributions of the other Americans? Yeah. It's, it's so important because there's... <laughs> It's a wonderful thing. I just wrote a poem, and I said one of the lines in the poem said, "Pluto will one day be another, will be a planet, and we're going to send black kids up there to learn how to ski." <laughs> and I love it. It's 
we have got to quit dealing now. Race was a bad idea 200 years ago or 300 years ago. It's a ridiculous idea today. Hatred was a bad idea, and it's a ridiculous idea today. We're on the third planet from the yellow sun. We have got to come together to see, and how do we make sense out of this, and how do we find a way to bring the sanity into this? How do we find a way to make the best of, of us? So, so you, you know, Du Bois famously said the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. You once said uh, the problem of the 20th century, the spirituals teach us that the problem of the 20th century is not the problem of the color line. The problem of the 20th century is the problem of civilizing white people. How, <laughs> and maybe you just gave the answer to this question. You know, how do you think about what is the problem of the 21st century? Well, I think the problem of the 21st century is, is we need to quit being afraid of space because we're doing somebody, and I wish I knew who, but some group doesn't want us to really start to deal with that which needs to be approached. We need—we can go to Mars. You know that we can go to Mars. I had lung cancer. Uh I'm very fortunate. I just sent my, my doctor, Creighton Bright, I just, my surgeon, I should say. I just sent Creighton a, a, a Christmas card and thanked him for my life. But hmm. when he took my left lung out, one of the unfortunate things that's going to happen to me is that I cannot go into space. When I met with Dr. Uh, Gordon, and we were talking about it, I said, I'd really like to go up to the space station, you know, just, just go up. And he said, well, the problem is I can take you up. I can put you on a, a, a rocket and take you up, but I can't bring you back. Yeah. And I said, why can't you bring me back? He said, because you, you're missing a lung. And that means that the organs in your body, when we bring you back into gravity, the organs in your body will move around. If your stomach moves into that 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 void, it'll kill you. Mm -hmm. So I said, let's make a deal, Dr. Gordon. He is the head of NASA, as you know, NASA. Mm -hmm. I said, let's make a deal, Dr. Gordon. When I think I might be dying in the next, you know, six or seven months, you'll take me up into space. And when I die, you'll just open the door and let me float, you know, and I'll be there. <laughs> and people can, can sit on the mountains and they can look up, have a glass of champagne and look up and say, well, there goes Nikki. So <laughs> I think that would be fair enough. But uh, And I said that to kids, don't smoke, because I yeah. did. Yeah. And, and if I didn't smoke, I could probably go into space right now because I, I think the idea... Is, is, it's, it's incredible. And I was lucky enough uh, to take the old SST, supersonic transport. And I was very fortunate because when it happened, I knew no one people, it won't, it's not going to last. So I took it over to London. <laughs> I love London. And I took it back. But you could see the curve of the earth. Oh, the, the Concorde? The, is that what yeah, you mean? The, the Concorde. Yeah, uh -huh, SST. okay. Mm -hmm. You could see it. And this is what kids need to be looking at. This is... I mean, we're, we're, we've got this stupid gun lobby. We've got a lot of dumb things going on. When what's so wonderful is what's going on in the heavens above us. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I mean, just we have kids that, that, that couldn't pick out Venus yeah. on, on a clear night. They, they couldn't show you <laughs> Venus. Well, what, what are we teaching them? And why don't we pay teachers enough so that they can teach in the middle of the night and the kids can begin to learn what the heavens are and what, what we're calling them and how we reach them? Have you ever heard of I, I was I was thinking as I was reading y you how your passion about space um, that you're a space freak as you say um, have you ever heard of this language of the overview effect this it's um, it's actually a documented effect of astro that ha something that happens to astronauts people who've been in space that they get this sense of perspective that is kind of life altering that changes the way they then come back. Um, 
to, to culture. Have you ever heard of that? No. The only thing I knew about them is that when the astronauts came back, they couldn't drive. No, I didn't know that. Little, yeah, because of uh, th- that was the perspective. But we have that with soldiers. Yeah. That uh, because of, of, of the pressure, you know, that they couldn't drive. So, yeah. no, I didn't. It's, it's, I mean, here's one way somebody described it. It says, um, it refers to the experience of seeing firsthand the reality of the earth and space, which is immediately understood to be a tiny, fragile ball of life hanging in a void, shielded and nourished by a paper-thin atmosphere. From space, national boundaries vanish. The conflicts that divide people become less important. And the need to create a planetary society with the united will to protect this pale blue dot becomes both obvious and imperative. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but that's... Yes. Is it? And said much better, but that is exactly... Can you imagine when we have people doing sort of a normal... Oh, what are you going to do next weekend, John? Well, you know, Mary and I were thinking, you know, we'd, we'd just run up to the space station and, and have a glass of champagne and we'll spend the night and we'll be back. And yeah. Can you imagine sex in space? <laughs> I have to confess I've never thought about it before. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, but I I'm think... sorry. I didn't mean to embarrass you. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. I just, I think we have to return to Earth here for for a little while in this conversation, though. I mean, you know, we were talking about the spirituals before. I mean, we were also then, and the, and that kind of led into this, the, the, the question of how people stay sane, and not just sane, but but bring beauty into the world, and um, uh, and this and the spirituals as such an incredible uh, demonstration of that. Um, Oh yeah, I mean, you were you also mentioned Virginia Tech, and I just I want to come back to that. I mean, it, it that terrible massacre in two thousand seven, and mm-hmm. and you did um, you did deliver a poem that day, and uh, um, and and to me, when I when I read it uh, and hear it again, I it 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 does um, this the the spirit of the spirituals is in it. It you know, which is about facing reality head on and including right those spirituals were called sorrow songs right and you you said we are virginia tech we are sad today and we'll be we will we will be sad for quite a while we are not moving on we are embracing our mourning we are virginia tech we are strong enough to stand tall tearlessly we are brave enough to bend to cry and we are sad enough to know that we must laugh again Mm -hmm. um uh, when 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 uh, Sandy Smith, who's the president's uh, Dr. Steger's uh, assistant, uh, called me, and you know everybody, I knew Mr. Cho, I knew the murderer, and I, I knew some of the uh, students who who um, were, were were killed. Uh, I know that Mr. Cho, and that was one of the big questions, uh, is because of uh, I had kicked him out of my class, and that's a longer story, mm-hmm. but. Um, People, some people said, you know, was he after you? But I'm never on class, and and, and I'm never on campus on Monday, or I used to. I'm, I'm lately I am, but uh, I used to not be on Monday. So I knew Mr. Cho wasn't looking for me. He was doing something else. And so when Sandy Smith called me, she said, Nikki, we we need you to anchor um, complication. I um, I knew that I was incredibly sad. Actually, uh, I'm tearing up right now, and I, mm-hmm. I, I apologize. It just made me sad, and I knew that. And I'm good on my feet. Uh, anybody that knows me knows that, you know, I'm pretty good on my feet. But I knew that I couldn't walk into an auditorium as sad as I was. And ex- I, I just didn't want to trust myself to do the right thing. So I just sat down and wrote yeah. what was important. And what was important to me was that we are Virginia Tech, not what happened. Yeah. And um, 
and it was an incredible poem. And also what was so striking to me and telling, really, about what you do and about who we are as human beings is, you know, there was just the incredible applause. And then um, whoever stood up next, and I, I don't know if it was the president, said, boy, did we need that. I, I don't remember. Yeah. And I, I remember meeting George Bush, and uh, <laughs> I do remember Mr. Bush said, good job. And I said, thank you, Mr. President. Yeah. And there had been some um, question because uh, I'm not very fond of most presidents, and, and, and Bush wasn't one of mine. And one of the administrators had, had, when they asked me to do it, had worried that I was going to say something to the president. And I had said to him when he said that, you know, and right. I said, wait a minute, I'm here for Virginia Tech. Yeah. You know, I'll say something to the president on my time. This this is what we're here for. And um I was just glad that, that I was able to do that. Yeah, but, but you know what came out of it, aside yeah. from, it was sad, but what came out of it was that I met Queen Elizabeth mm-hmm. because uh, mm-hmm. I was going to say she called, but you know she doesn't call. Her people called, <laughs> and I had to laugh because her people had to call my people yeah. to ask if, <laughs> if I would come over to Richmond to meet her. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things, you know, you want to say, well, let me, let me check my calendar. <laughs> and, you know, you know, you know damn well I, I would have walked to Richmond to meet the Queen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Prince. Charles, not well, I'm a big fan of Charles, but uh, Prince Philip, because I love the work that he's been doing with with the wildlife. So it was such a a pleasure to meet uh, to meet both of them. And and you go like, oh, I've only met two queens in my life, and Elizabeth is one, and the other is uh, Queen Juanita of uh, the village of Kono in in Ghana. Hmm. So it was just like, wow, you hmm. know, this, I'm 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 riding high. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm important. Well, I'm well, gonna buy myself a new dress. <laughs> <laughs> and. And if you think about, um, I guess, I guess I, I don't even know if I asked my question very well. I'm, I, I think a lot. I think a lot about p- poetry and the place of poetry, and you know, in in human life, and also in common life, and how it's something we forget, but it kind of resurfaces again and again. And I felt like um, that moment at, at, after that terrible tragedy at Virginia Tech, and you know, you you as a poet, you know, saying we will prevail. There, there was this authority of that form of language, um, and I guess you know, even meeting Queen Elizabeth, it's, it's how I, I wonder how surprised you might have been at that twenty-five-year-old revolutionary poet, you know, <laughs> being so that 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 there are moments when we honor poetry and poets and understand how necessary it is. I don't do you know what I, I'm saying. I, you know, I could not, and and even. Even now, to be honest, and I say this to my students, I don't, my students are too young to understand that you don't plan your life. The life of a poet is not planned. You're just always doing, well, we're back to cooking. You're always doing the best that you can do. And you're always taking whatever ingredients you are given and making whatever it is that you can make. Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah. And so being a black American, and I, I don't mean to bring race in like that, but being a black American, I'm used to taking little bits of this, that, and the other. <laughs> My grandmother did not waste. There was nothing that came into her kitchen that she didn't find a use for. And I feel the same way with experience and with words. And as I have grown older... I, I refuse to let who I was at 25 inform or make me be who somebody else thinks I should be at 72. Yeah. And I think yeah. that this is what maybe the young rappers, uh, Jill Scott called me the other day, and it was really just such a pleasure to talk to, to that young lady. And I had done, well, I'm always doing favors. I had done her a favor, but it was a pleasure that she asked. But 
what I was at, 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 at Jill's age, I'm not now. I'm learning something. So we were talking earlier. I said, I'm, I have to, I'm looking again at slavery, and I'm going to look at it very differently because I've learned so much. And I have to, I, I, I think that any public has a right. I'm not a novelist, and I, I, I have good friends who are novelists, and I'm always laughing at you novelists. You know, <laughs> you, you, you sit down and you say, this is what I'm going to write because this was a bestseller. But we don't do that. Poets don't have bestsellers. <laughs> I've had a couple, but it's been a, an accident. You know, nobody knows why. <laughs> but poetry is not on, on that level. So we're always trying to just tell the truth as, as we understand it. And I want my students to understand that. You have a voice. Use it. Never let anybody take your voice away from you. That, that's what's important. And don't waste, I'll go back to that, hmm. don't waste what you know. And a lot of people, you know, you'd be surprised at how many people actually waste what they know, not to mention waste what they feel. Hmm. Would, you, would you say a little bit more about what you, your, your reflections that you had in that conversation about how you're thinking about slavery now in ways that you didn't think about it before? Well, I, I, I thought about it, of course, and I don't mean of course, but as you deal with it, it's a horrible situation and you see the pain of of the people. I've now, and I asked, well, make a good sentence, Nikki. I asked my students this year, and one of the things we, we were thinking about, and I'm going to come back to it. We all know, let me, let me approach it this way, if you okay. don't mind. Okay. We all know Rosa Parks, and we all know Mrs. Parks refused to give up. Mr. Blake said to her, I want you all to give up this seat. It was the four of them sitting there. And Mrs. Parks, who was sitting on the aisle, and there was a man on the, on the window and two people across, Mrs. Parks said no. She got up to let the man on the window out, and she sat back down. What I asked my students, and what I'm, I'm sharing with you, is what did the white man who was standing there think mm. when he saw this woman standing up and by sitting down for herself? Who was he? We, we've never looked at who is he yeah. and what, what were his thoughts. And so when you, when you say, as I look into slavery, well, we know that there were victims in slavery. I don't have any problem with that. But we also know that something good came out of slavery because we in black America became Americans. Because we, you know, no matter what Marcus Garvey or any of the rest say, there is no back to. Yeah. Th- this is it for us because we have no place to go back. I'm, I'm what, a fifth-generation American, something like that, if I'd, I'd have to do the math. But there's no place to go back. So it's not unusual for somebody like me to be in love with something like Mars because all, I, uh, all my people have ever done is go forward. And we, we, we go mm-hmm. forward with a sanity and a love. Hmm. And and I think that that's so important that planet Earth tap in to that. Quit playing these little stupid race games and find out what it is that these people are bringing to all of us as we go forward. Um, you know, one thing that is so um, that just runs all the way through a picture, getting a picture of your life is that you you have you've been loved well. You were loved well in the beginning, and you you've loved well. There's these famous lines from some of your early poetry that black love is black wealth. And they'll probably talk about my hard childhood and never understand that all the while I was quite happy. I mean, you just use the word love. Does that word, how does that word figure in as you think about a vision for us as human beings, you know, in terms of race and beyond race and this world that you'd like to see us be creating? Uh, you know, love is important. Uh, I think my father was an idiot, and 
more than I don't think that. My father was an idiot. <laughs> and he was abusive, right? He was he was violent. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And I don't know what. I couldn't begin to tell you what made me understand that whatever was going on with Gus had nothing to do with how mommy felt about me and felt about Gary. And it had nothing to do. Gus was crazy, but he loved us. So mm. I, I think it's Toni Morrison that said, love is no better than the lover. Mm. Crazy mm. people love crazy. Okay. And yeah. I think she's absolutely right. right. And I don't know what let me separate so that I didn't learn to dislike him. I didn't learn that. I just didn't let that which does not suit me, I don't know if, if this is a good word, determine who I am. And I feel the same way. And I, I think that we're looking at, at young black youngsters and young white youngsters today. I, I said that to my students because I have white youngsters. They didn't, they didn't create slavery. Yeah. So there's no reason for them to feel guilty about it. What we all need to do is decide how we want to go forward. Am I making sense from yep. this? Yep. And I, I like, I, actually, I like my students. I'm going to be sorry when I retire because I enjoy, if it's one thing that I definitely enjoy, it's my 8 o'clock class because I get such good writers. And <laughs> as I just said to Dr. Sands recently, we were talking about something else, but, you know, my 8 o'clock class, they, they come to me, 8 a.m., they come to me from their dreams, and I come to them from mine. Mm -hmm. And I would give up a lot of things in, in terms of teaching. I really don't want to give up my 8 o'clock because I like the freshness that, um, that they bring. And the, the other word would be, I like the love that we have for each other as mm. we come into that class. Mm. And I think that that's so... I think you have to make up your mind what you're going to love. And I think that anybody... I, I learned a long time ago, but somebody said it way better than I could. You know, don't argue... Uh, who said that? Don't argue with fools, but that's not what it's... Like Thoreau or one of them. But it's no point in talking to people who are fools. And I said that on the thing. If, if and, and I don't mean to mention him like that, but if Mr. Trump came in here right now, I'd leave because we have nothing to say. I don't, I'm not going to try to convince him because he's a fool. And there's no point in me trying to waste my time talking to somebody who doesn't like me mm -hmm. and we're not going to agree on anything. I should talk to the people whom I like, who like me, that we can say, what can we build together? What can we make together? And I mentioned grandmother because grandmother didn't waste anything. But the other day I had the pleasure, the absolute pleasure of having okra made with chicken feet. And I hadn't mm -hmm. had chicken feet since, oh, since I lived with grandmother. She's been dead a long time. I just couldn't believe it. I just sat there. I wanted to lick the bowl. <laughs> It was, it was so good. I don't know if you've ever had okra. Which, I don't know if you've ever had chicken feet because nobody does. I'm it. not sure. I, I, I'm not sure I've had chicken feet. I haven't had okra. I do love okra, but I haven't had it with chicken feet. Oh my! Well, uh, if you know any Jamaicans, that's who really does. That's who makes it. Or you can have chicken feet and you can fry it. But there's just nothing like the okra and the mm -hmm. chicken feet. And it was like, oh my God! This is what grandmother. Because we had a chicken, and she would wring its neck, and she would bake it or she would fry it. Depends on what we're doing, but. We also had the feet left over. And, of course, everybody knows the chicken liver and the gizzard, you know. And I just remember that, and it was like, oh, I was just sitting there eating and smiling. I, I just wanted to go kiss the cook. <laughs> it was so and, wonderful. And, and did that, is that kind of, is that where your, where your mind and heart go when you're thinking about love? It ends up with food. Is that? Yeah. I, I, if I had a choice between food and sex to remember it, I'd always remember the food. <laughs> <laughs> the sex wasn't bad in some cases, but the food was always wonderful. <laughs> so, so, so you're saying love is a great thing, and also it's not always a good, or it's not always 
healthy. And so it's not necessarily that useful to throw it around as a as a word. Well, I, 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 no, you can't just throw it around. I think you have to make up your mind what you love mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. loves you. And I think that's a two-way street. Mm. And I think you have to be patient with your love. All love doesn't work. We, we know that. Whether it's food, I, I just mentioned, or yeah. not just, but yeah. I mentioned I, I no longer do dough. I no longer do uh, pancakes or those other things, w- uh, waffles. And so you love something, and then you either outgrow it or your need for it changes, whether that's a human being, whether that's a dog, whether that's the garden you used to grow. I mean, whatever it is, but outgrowing something or not needing it doesn't make you dislike it. It just means right. that you've learned that lesson. You have earned what it had to, 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 to offer you. You, you've done that, and now you move on. Mm, so mm. I, I don't ever think, uh, and I have friends, I'm not married, but I, I have friends who are, are divorced, and it was like, oh, it was such a mistake. Well, it wasn't a mistake. It was a lesson learned. Yeah. You, you you had 10 good years, and you have children, and, you know, whatever, the house or whatever. But uh, everything is a lesson. And so you have to find out what's the lesson, and, and how do I in, 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 in embrace this lesson, and how do I go forward? And and you have to watch out for the bitterness. That's what you don't want to be bothered right, with. Right, right, right. Right. You know, I, 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 there's another line I wrote down from your, from your talk with James Baldwin, 1973. And I'm not really trying to get you to talk about then, but it's interesting to me to think about how you were thinking then and, and, and how you've evolved. And because you also, as you, you know, you said a minute ago as a poet, you know, you are an articulator, you have a voice. And um, so one thing you said to him is, you said, one of the nicest things we created as a generation was just the fact that we could say, hey, I don't like white people. And then you said, it was the beginning, of course, of being able to like them. Yeah. Which is such an honest... That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Because once you can articulate, once you can get it out, then something else can come back in. Mm. It makes total sense. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say about yeah. that. Well, well, and it seemed it seemed helpful to me. I I feel like we're in this moment. Uh, so much has come to the surface that obviously needed to come to the surface, but we still don't know quite what to do with it. And uh, and you know, one of the things I like about that statement is it's so honest. And I I feel like we at this point, you know, fifty years on from the. That that's the that civil rights movement of Dr. King and all the people of that era, we think we're not supposed to. Um, we think we're supposed to know how to do this, and we don't. Um, and we don't know how to tell the, tell each other the truth or tell ourselves the truth. And so we, you know, what that statement that you made, that we could say, "Hey, I don't like white people." <laughs> it's so refreshingly yeah. true and real. Um. I don't know. I'm just. I'm actually just talking. I'm not. That's not even really a question. But no. Well, the line you were quoting Nikki Rosa earlier, mm-hmm. and I could push it back from where you were, and and the line was, and I really hope no white person ever has cause to write about me because they never understand black love is black wealth, yeah. and they'll probably talk about my hard childhood and never understand that all the while I was quite happy, and I think that what I'm trying to say, or. Uh, but I was, you know, I, I don't want to second guess myself either. But I think what was important to me is that I don't want to be 
put into a box because somebody else. I mean, you, you, even now, you know, you, you, you read about people and it's always, you know, they're drug addicts or they're this, that, and the other. We need to stop that. We need to stop that, that old-fashioned racism and get back into where we as human beings are going. We, we really do. Right. I'm, a, right. Um, I'm anti-gun, as you could probably guess, because mm-hmm. I think uh, very few things are as, as, as useless as guns. Guns were something we did. Uh, I have a friend uh, who hunts. I was talking about him earlier. I have a friend who hunts. And I guess hunting, I mean, I know he's a good hunter because he only hunts what he eats. But, um, you know, the idea of, 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 of these guns and, and shooting people and trying to see what you can kill, whether it's doves in the field or whether it's uh, human beings sitting in, 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 in a, a Sandy Hook just had the... Uh, 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 anniversary, if you yeah. can call that an anniversary. Yeah. And somehow or another, education is important, we know that. And somehow or another, it's also, I think, very important to uh, eliminate. Uh, I'm not a fan of temptation because it, 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 when given temptation, <laughs> we will usually yield. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think some things need to be uh, removed. You know, you, you no longer see on television ads for cigarettes. And I mentioned earlier, I was a smoker. I'm glad I'm not anymore. I learned the hard way, but I'm glad I'm alive. You no longer see ads for alcohol. And it's not that people don't drink alcohol. They do. I think prohibition was stupid. And I'm pretty sure that drugs, that the the prohibition of drugs is stupid because a better thing to do would be to legalize so that we can control it, tax it, and go on about uh, our business. But I think that one of the things that, that we have to think about when we think about um, destruction, when we think about how we destroy people, is why? Mm-hmm. What, what, what good? I mean, you talk about war. I, I was, uh, I'm a World War II baby, and mm-hmm. so I don't remember, but of course, uh, I'm born at that war. World War II is going to be over, but Korea is going to come. And of course, my generation, uh, one of the things that brought us together, speaking of, of black and whites, but one of the things that, that really brought us together was, of course, Vietnam. Because everybody's finally realizing why, first of all, these, these people make incredible chicken soup. The pho is one of the best dishes on earth. <laughs> right, why would is. you go yeah. in and hurt these people? <laughs> you know <laughs> it's that, true. <laughs> there's how the foodie and the revolutionary in you again cohabit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> you know, here's some something else that struck me. Uh, speaking of violence, and of course, the there's also this violence that's right on the surface of our public life now of a lot of it enacted by policemen against young black people you this was in what was this sorry i wrote i want to read oh this was from sacred cows and other edibles late 80s and you it's a little essay called our own house is in disorder and you, it's a kind of litany of, you know, you say the New York Police Department tortured five suspects and there was no outcry. A Los Angeles policeman murdered a seven-year-old boy because he was home alone watching television and there were no sanctions. The Philadelphia Police Department bombed a black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And there are no marches. And we're now living in 2015. We're now living in this, these early decades of the 21st century and... These kinds of things have been happening, and suddenly, um, at least some of them, at least many of them, are being seen. And there are marches, and there is outcry. Mm-hmm. Um, does that feel? How how are you experiencing this? I mean, is yeah, just how how what does that mean? And, and how are you? I'll get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> 
saying this, but policemen are whatever color it is, but policemen are blue. And we do know enough about some of the uh, shootings that are going on that it's not a question of black and white. Yeah. It's a question of policemen mm. against other people. And I think that that has to be um, admitted. But I don't think policemen should have guns. Mm. And uh, I have friends who, you know, well, how are they going to protect themselves? Well, this was a Christian nation last I heard, and Jesus said something about if, if you get a smite on one cheek, turn um, mm. the other. And if policemen don't have guns, if the cops don't, if the cops don't have guns, then the robbers can't. It's so basic. Mm. And uh, that's something, then the community begins to uh, 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 help protect itself, and I'm not. Uh, I'm not afraid. I, I was laughing about you know when I was 25. I I, was, I thought I'm I'm a fourth of the way through my life. When I was 50, I thought well I'm halfway through. I'm 72. I hope I get to be 75. <laughs> and I'd like to you know think it through. But nonetheless, I won't. I am not afraid. And mm-hmm. I don't understand Americans being afraid. I just. I'm just missing something. I don't understand this great fear that uh, these people, you know, are yeah. going to come, so whoever these people are, and hurt us. And and we watch it, you know. I uh, I, I see very few of the stupid movies, uh, the 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 uh, space movies, going back to space because they always have whatever's in outer space is some monster that's coming down to hurt us. And I'm I'm not <laughs> seeing that. I right. I'm, I'm I'm seeing that whatever's in space. Is going to be a friend, and uh, we're going to find a way to to share with it, to laugh with it, to whatever. Um, there was the old uh, Star Trek, which I loved. I loved that it, too. Yeah, it was such a scene. And I remember there was a show you may remember called The Companion, and an astronaut was stuck, uh, got stranded on a pla- on a planet, and he was injured, and. They thought, everybody thought he was dead. And Captain Kirk uh, and them went up, and they finally got to the planet. And he was alive, and he, he looked good. And he was saying, well, he was lucky. He found this, that, and the other. But, of course, he was lying because we, what he had found was a companion. And they said, well, we're here to take you home. And he said, okay, well, I'm, I'm glad to be going home. And the planet began to weep. The planet, it was a mm. beautiful story. Mm. The planet weeped. And he finally realized that she, and it, we're just going to deal with it as a she at this point, that she loved him. And he finally looked at the curtain and said, I need to stay here. This is where I am loved. Mm-hmm. And she kind of was a spirit, and so she just kind of, her, her aura just came over him, and everything smiled. And I thought, that is what life is about. You want to find somebody that when you are there, you cause them to smile, that the love comes out. I love that show. So I was sorry that we lost Star Trek because that made sense. But the rest of it is we're teaching people to be afraid of space. We're teaching people to be afraid of other religions. We're teaching people to be afraid of each other. Yeah. You can't live like that. Yeah. But do, do you think there's something, I mean, you also are on a college campus a lot. Do you think there's, isn't there something healthy right now about the fact that there's truth being told and these things that happen are they're being reckoned with i mean imperfectly but in that has changed does that or is that how do you see that too or do you do you have a different I'm not way? sure what you mean when you say truth being told well that as you you wrote in 1988 you know people get shot and and it's not there's no outcry there's there are no marches um there are no sanctions and now 
there are pictures and there's an outcry and there's sanctions, and we're not quite sure what to do with it. Um, but these things aren't invisible anymore. I guess that's good. I just wrote a, uh, and I'm 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 struggling with it, by the way, because yeah. um, I it's on a deadline. It, it happens to be one of the few. Oh, you're struggling with deadline. this think piece you're writing, and I'm struggling yeah. to make it. But uh, the, the third line in the poem says, "You know, we cannot be unraped," mm. and. I was interested because, you know, we've had a lot of, you know, campus rape, and then we find out that some of it isn't quite uh, quite accurate. But no matter what it is, we cannot unrape. And I'm not sure. I'm, I'm having this argument with myself. I don't know where this is going to go, by the way. But I'm not sure that justice can come from any of that. Only only thing that can come from that is revenge. And revenge is a bad idea. I mean, the Greeks learned that. that that justice can come from ago. that justice can come from any of what of that that there is no ju- if if you right now came in here and beat the living crap out of me mm-hmm. there is no justice there is no justice I had the living crap beaten out of me right. I right. can sue you I can do something to try to satisfy myself right. but that's not going to be there's no justice right unless I would tie you up and beat the living crap out of you and nobody wants to do that that's what I'm saying I can get revenge but I can't. There's no justice. And so I'm beginning to wonder, should we change this, this, this dialogue we have? I saw the president the other day of the United States saying, you know, to, to the, the uh, community, the, the, whoever it is that's it's been blowing up people, you know, we're going to get you. Yeah. That's, that's not justice. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm sorry to say it like that. And I'm not namby-pamby. But we're going to have to find a way to talk to each other. And I think that that's... That's what's important. So I'm, am I, I'm probably not making sense. No, you are. You are making sense. I mean, you said a minute ago that we have to, we 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 need to work with where we're going, and it it's it strikes me, and I I think that's also what you're saying here that there's the there's the there's the anger and pain at injustice, which is real, and um and there's also this other work. If you say that there's no justice, then then there's this other work of also creating the world we want to live in, which may be so imperfectly tied to righting those wrongs. Is that... Or just trying to learn to live with the fact that some things are not going to work. Some mm-hmm. things we're going to say, you cannot do. And then some things we're going to say... But though you have done them, we have to find a way to live with them. And that doesn't mean we reward you for what you've done, but it also means that 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 uh, that we need another level of dialogue. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would have been interesting of, of, of all of the things. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Greeks uh, for a lot of reasons, not because they have terrible wine, as you know, but I'm a big <laughs> fan of the Greeks. But it would have been fun to have lived at, at the time that you could walk around and talk to, you know, Socrates or, you know, yeah. Aristotle or somebody and say, you know, let's remake the world. My students and I, because uh, we talk about everything because we're writers, and we were talking about how there was an imbalance. I don't have to tell you that. There was a terrible, terrible imbalance in, in economic uh, uh, privileges. Yeah. And some people are very, very rich and some people are very, very poor. And we have to change that. And one of my students, young man uh, who does that, he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do is tell you that it needs to be changed because it does. The, the, the uh, economic system that we live on um, needs to be changed. I never 
Nobody will, will rob me, for example, because I never have money. <laughs> and I don't have money because there's no point. I have a MasterCard. <laughs> and so I, I carry that around. I can get my coffee from Starbucks. I can get my food from Fresh Market. I don't need money. So we actually have gotten off the money system, though we don't admit it. And we're, we're going into something else because it's all theoretical now. Mm-hmm. You just stick mm-hmm. a card in with a little, am I making yeah. sense? Yep, yep. And I think that the young, that the, I, I can't think of it because I'm, I'm 72 and I'm already stuck with what I am. But the youngsters coming up are going to find another way to handle this. And we're going to find another way to handle taxes. I'm a big, big, big fan of taxes because every citizen should contribute to the, to the life of the community. But more, every citizen should contribute to the life of this earth. Hmm. It, it, it's so basic. I was in the hospital getting some blood work done a couple of days ago, and I'm looking at people, and I'm thinking, everybody needs good health. It's just so basic. You just yeah. need good health. So why don't we pay the doctors to go to—why don't we find a way to make sure that everybody can get it? And I did say to my kids, though, if they had 6,000 men, what would they do with them? And they just all looked at me, and they're like, oh, my God, what's your— I said, well, we, we, we've got, I know, at least 6,000 men in Syria right now. If, if somebody said to you, you can have 6,000 men, what would you do? And my student, Taylor, who I love so much, Taylor immediately said, well, what I would do is I'd have them clean up, uh, you know, New York. I said, there you go. That's, I was <laughs> glad she said it because that's what I want. If we can pay them to go kill somebody, we can pay them to clean up New York and, and, and Washington and L.A. and Chicago just for the— you know, just for right off the bat. We can also pay them to do what we here in Roanoke have been doing, which is uh, Habitat for Humanity. We've been working, uh, w, uh, VTF actually, has been working with building houses for people. We can do some good things without being a fool or being made to feel that we're fools. That just has to be another way that we look at what does it mean to be a human being. That's, mm. that's all. Mm. And I'm old enough now. If you'd asked me that 50 years ago, the answer would you know, it probably been very different because I didn't know and hadn't been through and hadn't seen. I've been on every uh, continent except Asia. I haven't, there, there are things that I haven't seen. I really do love, by the way, Antarctica. I know, um, I know, I know. You've talked I, about I, it. I, about about I could it. live yeah. there and go, me and the penguins because the penguins are so sweet. Mm. And that is not something I want to eat. I could not get, <laughs> okay. I could not be with the Donner Party Going through the past, I'm not going to eat a human being just to stay alive, Mm. and I'm not going to eat the penguins because they're our friends. Mm. So if that means I have to, you know, I'm not going to make it, then I'm not going to live through that because there are certain things that I want for me that I don't want to try to justify. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You are, you're enjoying being in your 70s, I sense. I do. I I recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I love it. And... I love how you are just continuing to wrestle and change your mind and 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 ask questions and uh, your vision is just constantly evolving, it seems. But everybody's is the only yeah. difference between me and most people is that I'm not afraid to talk about. Yeah, that's right. It. You do. That's right. You talk about <laughs> it very openly. Yeah. You know something. Um, Here's something, I don't know where you wrote this. The state of the world we live in is so depressing, you wrote. And this is not because of the reality of the men who run it, but because it just doesn't have to be that way. The possibilities of life are so great and beautiful that to see less wears the spirit down. To me, that is so emblematic of the way you think, which is to be aware of what's wrong and to mourn and be sad and angry when that's 
when that's necessary, but also holding this sense of what more is possible right now if we only could live into it and realize it. I couldn't agree more. You know, and again, these are choices that we make in how we're going to proceed ourselves. You know, it's not a question of, uh, you said men, but it's men and women. Yeah. Time Magazine's woman, person of the year is a woman, as you know, um, the uh, German woman. Yes, and of course, uh, which I truly, truly adore, the sportswoman of the sports person of this year is Serena Williams. Yeah. And I just think, you know, we're growing up. We're, we're beginning to, to, to understand that people contribute. So it's not just the, the it, it's the people running the world who need to, really be strong enough to say we're just not we're not doing that we're not doing more anymore it's just it doesn't work or if i had those 6000 people those 6000 mm-hmm. soldiers i would definitely um, have them of course what fdr did and, and fdr was a great president for a lot of reasons but one of the things he did was he had people planting trees <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's a good idea trees mm-hmm. need to be planted and then the the bears can be out there then the wasps can lay their eggs in the oak and just a lot of fun things and I'm a big fan of education. I, I was very, very fortunate. My mother taught third grade. I have a granddaughter who's now in the fourth grade. Mm. My uh, sister Althea was a nun, was a, the teacher of mine, uh, Flora Alexander, my fifth grade teacher. And having great teachers, Ms. Mrs. Stokes, Miss Delaney, was just um, wonderful to me because it, it, as a little person, as a child, people keep opening your eyes to what else is going on and, and, and what what is, is being done. We need to, if I may, we need to pay teachers more. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't care what, what uh, any billionaire running for president says. People work very hard, and they need to be paid more. And school is not uh, uh, an eight to three situation. We have to rethink <laughs> right, school. Right, yeah. We do. Yeah, and the so kids that, know that, it. They actually know it. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. No, it doesn't. And yeah. We have, again, we have an opportunity to remake some things, and I think it's wonderful. And, of course, I'm, again, back to food, and from what I've seen of lunches, you know, I don't blame the kids for being upset. <laughs> we, we definitely, one of the things that FDR did, and he did a lot of good things, but one of the great things was, you know, uh, Frances uh, Watkins was Secretary of Labor, and she reclassified cooks from domestic to professional. Mm. And I thought that is just the greatest thing that ever happened. Mm. And what we need to do is make sure we've got schools. We could be teaching professional cooks, professional chefs. We've got laboratories all over America because we've got schools. And we've got kids who will or won't eat some of the things that you're working on. And we can deal with the local food. You don't have to pay $100 for a meal. You can actually go and sit down in a school and do that. And the idea that anybody would be hungry or that anybody would be homeless is uh, incredibly unacceptable to somebody like like me. And it's something that we can work on. It's something that we should be willing to work on. And it's something that should make us happy when we do. It's something that... If I went out and shot twenty people, everybody my paper my, my my name would be in the paper, my face you know my face, and everybody would say Nikki went out and shot all these people. But if I went out and 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 cooked something I don't cook very well, if I went out and made rolls and gave hot rolls to the homeless, I don't get any 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 props for that. Yeah, you know I want to ask right. you a question. I, I I have no idea if this is an interesting question for you, but um, I, I was at a gathering. Um, recently, 
and the ti- the topic of the gathering was on beauty. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was at the Ford Foundation, and I know you have a history with Ford Foundation because they Ford Foundation sponsored that early entrance program at Fisk oh, yeah. all those years ago when you went to college. Absolutely. And so it was a gathering of... Um, you know, writers, artists, uh, architects, philosophers, people working, you know, psychologists, people working in different fields. And one of the points of contention that we got to in the room was, you know, somebody said that he, and he was a white man of, you know, in his six, 60s maybe, said that he thought, he believed that there is a canon of beauty, that there are certain works of art and works of writing that you basically have to be made out of stone not to, you know, to experience and and get shivers and perhaps, you know, perhaps cry, be moved by. And and he was saying, and this kind of gets to your point of education, he was saying that, that we should, pres- you know, that we should take beauty seriously as a cultural good and that we should have a kind of a canon that we, that, that children experience and they claim as their own. But it, this was also controversial because the idea was that you can't, that, that in fact we've had an idea in the West that there's a canon of beauty and it's excluded a lot of other people's sense of what is beautiful and what is meaningful. I I wonder how you take in that idea, but but also I think more importantly is you know I'm curious like what would be your canon of beauty? How do you think about the force of beauty in the world? And I guess that kind of gets at the question of how poetry, what poetry does yeah. in the world. That's going to be um, another hour. A hard question, but <laughs> I'm I'm not against the canon. Let me be really clear about that. Okay. I'm not against the canon because if we give you a canon, then you will vary on it. Okay. And right. so I don't have any any problem with that. If, uh, for example, and, and I, by the way, uh, do appreciate the Ford Foundation, and it was how I went to school. Yeah. But if, for example, um, I learned, uh, which I, I just went to see the other day, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And in, in listening to Handel, one of the things that I'm hearing now is a way in the manger, because it's right there. There are some of the older things. But as we come out of that, I'm also getting some other Christmas carols. What we're not getting is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or some crap like that. Mm-hmm. By the way, I said to my class, I think Rudolph was a drug addict. And that's why his nose was red. He was, he was snorting coke. And they said, you can't do that. I, said, I think he was, but uh, nobody listens to me. I, I, I don't have a problem with the canon because it will change. Mm-hmm. Some people will change. What I do like, by the way, is that coloring book thing that they have now, the coloring card. And you can take... Um, uh, you know your pencils and your pens and stuff. I don't know if you have you seen them. Is this this new book that so many people are buying and working with? Well, they, they have cards too. I was yeah. in uh, like Barnes and Noble, and you can fill in the cards with all of the colors, and you can make right. them yourself. I think anything that's taking you into your imagination is uh, good. So I'm not having a a problem with that. I would, of course. Uh, I'm lucky, I should say, really, enough to have uh, Ed Dwight, who was uh, an astronaut who was kicked out of the program. And the best thing that happened to Ed Dwight, not to mention those of us who love art, is that he was kicked out of the program because he's an incredible sculptor. And he made, uh, well, of course, he made that that wonderful uh, sculpture of A. Philip Randolph that's in the uh, D.C. You know, he's done just beautiful work. I have one of him uh, uh, that he did for for, uh, Charlie Parker. So I'm just... Very lucky in those days when I was making money, I could spend it on things that I really <laughs> <laughs> that I really loved. But 
I think that the main thing is that you take a, a you know, you're not going to beat somebody to death on it. You're going to take it and change it. I saw uh, King Charles III. I don't know if you have you seen it yet. No. It's fab. It's fabulous. It's fabulous. Well, it's really good because we have Shakespeare, and without Shakespeare, we don't get. King Charles the Third, mm-hmm. and as you know, the first two Charleses, the first one we cut his head off, and the second one we, uh, uh, he was, um, he abdicated, I think, mm-hmm. or he was kicked out, and so it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen if this one becomes a Charles, because it would be unwise. He should probably become a Edward, or no, not Edward, because <laughs> Edward married uh, that girl and had to give up his throne. So we'll have to see what <laughs> what's going to happen, but. All of these things, that's what I'm saying, you build. Did I say this badly? No. You build on mm-hmm. what you know. And I think that it's up to all of us to say, well, this is this I want you to learn. I want you. I, I got no problem with Mona Lisa. This is what I want you to look at. But I also know that there's Ashley Bryant. Mm-hmm. And I know that Ashley Bryant and the work that he does, which is so beautiful, he does a lot of work on illustrating the spirituals. I don't want to exclude. I don't want some teacher to stand up there and say, well, that's crap. Right, because right. it's not that you don't want that. What you want to say is now let's look at let's look at the Mona Lisa and she's smiling. Why is she smiling? Well, I think she's probably smiling because she was listening to the Fifth Jubilee singers and they were singing some beautiful spirituals for her. <laughs> right. You see what I'm saying? I do. I like it. If I ask you where, when you look around the world right now today in your 72nd year, you know, where do you where do you see beauty? What, what gives you hope? What comes to mind? Well, see, I like the people, first of all. I've, I've, I've always been fond, um, and, and I say the people, that's all. I, I'm, I am fond of the people. I really do, of course, enjoy the food. I'm an American, and I really, really like what, what we're doing in the black communities. I wish we had more resources because I would like to see the black community having better housing, better schools. You know, it's just some basic things that we know they need. But I love what they're doing with rap. I love what they're doing with the music. I love what they're doing to, to bring their spirits up. And I think that that's, again, this is something that I think uh, the world benefits from. And, of course, I, I'm, I'm a fan of, of travel. So, you know, you want to see... You want to see everybody traveling back and forth and back and forth and back and mm. forth. And I think that that's important. I, I enjoy that. But I also like my friends. You know, I'm not trying to—I'm to, just trying to be a good writer. Yeah. And I'm not trying to change the world, but I'm trying to, when I do say something, trying to make sense out of it. Speaking of Rudolph, see, it, no matter what, everybody sings that dumb song, but they wouldn't let poor Rudolph play in any reindeer games. Why are we teaching kids that it's all right when somebody is different, that you can actually laugh at them? Yeah. I, I just don't think yeah. that that's right. And so I'm working on doing something about that. I, I do think that Rudolph is a, a, a drug addict, but I'm not sure why he, he started to, to snort right. coke. That's what I'm looking. That's that's what my research is. <laughs> Here's something you wrote that I loved. You wrote, "Writing is a conversation with reading, a dialogue with thinking." I yeah. really get that too. I get that. I get that. Actually, that dialogue with thinking, talking to you as well. That that's that that's that's how how you live. Well, you got to, you know, as I say to my students, and again, I, I hate to keep referring like that, but I'm, I'm always telling my students, you're your first reader. Yeah. So the, when you write something, the main person that has to be pleased with it is you because you don't know who else is out there who will or won't care about it. So if you care about it, then it, you've done your job. <laughs> Am I making sense? Yeah. That, you know, writers don't stand on the corner. We're not whores. 
We do not stand on the corner. And it's important that the young writers realize that. You're not writing so that you can write a bestseller. You're not writing so that it can be turned into a movie. You're not doing any of that. You're writing to tell the truth. Mm. And you're writing to satisfy that in you that says, I have this truth to share. Yeah. And you have to be proud of that. Well, Nikki Giovanni, I'm glad, very glad that you've shared your truth. And it's been such a pleasure to spend this time with you in conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's been, it's been fun. We've got to do something for Rudolph, don't you think? <laughs> I agree. I want you to send that to me when you're done. I, I've got one of my producers is asking me a question behind the glass. So I'm going to be quiet while I listen to her. Okay. Yeah. Um, just one question. This this kind of goes back to where we started and to where you started. That you know, when you were writing, when you were writing as a revolutionary poet, and, and when you were twenty five and mm-hmm. in the sixties, there, there, and you you talked a lot about power, and there there were you there was a lot of anger in you, which was you know I, I remember somebody saying anger is a moral response. It was a moral anger. And you are so um, at this stage. You are you are you are a person with a lightness of heart, and I know you still care about all the things you cared about. But somehow there's been this that's been transmuted. So do you think about that? I mean, what what? How do you think? Where did your anger go, or what happened to it? How is it part of you now? I think that things disturb me. I, I mentioned uh, a certain billionaire who gets on my nerves <laughs> several times. But I also, I'm, I'm not 25 anymore. And, and as you grow older, there are just things that you sometimes let go and sometimes you fail to solve. And no matter how we look at America, and there are problems, I'm not a fool, but we do know we're not going to go back to segregation. We're not going to go back to the white section and the black section. We're not going to go, well, we're not going back to anything. We have seen following the Brown decision, and and you talk about a fool, if I may say that, Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court should have been kicked off a long time ago, you stupid man. But you talk about an idiot. The Brown decision led us to the um, uh, uh, Loving decision, Loving versus Virginia, so that two people who wanted to be married, a white man and a black woman, which had nothing to do with it, they could do that. And then you have Clarence Thomas voting against same-sex marriage because he said he doesn't believe in it. And yet, without the loving decision, Clarence couldn't be married to Mrs. Uh, Thomas, to Virginia Thomas, because somebody else didn't like that. You would think, you know, you could could see that. And so I have some anger. (laughs) If if we were sitting on a stage and not the radio, I might say a few things because I I did call him a name that I didn't mean to call him a name in public, (laughs) but I did because you get sick. (laughs) You get sick of that. But I'm not 25, and I don't have to pretend to be. And I like the 25-year-olds that I watch, that I see, that I hear, and I work with them. I'm, I'm getting ready to go uh, to Chicago in a couple of months and, and work with my uh, former student, Jordan Holmes, and I'm so excited about that, and Morris Gearing. Hmm. So watching the kids and working with the kids, it, it's a pleasure. But I'm not the kids, and hmm. I know I don't know how to tell you that. I, I know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm not, I'm just not trying to be. And we didn't mention it. I'm, I mentioned that I'm AME, but I want to say, if we can leave one thing in, yeah. I really admire Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. think, uh, I just think he's doing a wonderful job uh, as Pope and is trying to, to see that he can lead his people into 
these these are questions, as you said, who am I to judge? And I think he has a good a good point that we can do better, you know. And to watch him in Africa was just uh, an amazing, wonderful, mm, wonderful mm. thing. And uh, I'm I'm just I'm glad to see any of us, me. Pope, it's not on the same level, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth. I'm, I'm happy to see us trying to say we have to do better, yeah, and yeah. we can do better. And if if I can be an example of, of better, then that's what I'm going to do. All right, that's your last word. Thank you so much. Thank you so very Thank much. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye.